I will try to keep it short today. I know many of you have family activities uh, that you're wanting to participate in, and so I don't want to infringe on that too much. Um, but um, I am grateful that you are here uh, this morning. Um, we have been moving through the promises of God concerning the coming of Jesus. And we've seen so many different pictures of uh, the Savior that is portrayed in those promises. The one who would come who is one of us, fully human, um, able to identify with us, connect with us in our, our hurts, our pains, our sorrows. And yet one who is also fully God, able to rise above those constraints that limit us, that um, keep us from being able to deal with our own situation, our own circumstance. We've seen him as uh, the king who rules, and we've seen him as the one who would suffer uh, on our behalf. To fully understand Christ, I'm, I'm not sure is, is possible, but I think there are some, some truths that we can understand about the relationship of those promises to, to who he is. And to do that this morning, I want to look just real quickly at two passages. Um, one is a promise in Hosea 11.1, 1, and one is the fulfillment in Matthew 2.15. But as we look at these passages, I, I want you to see how this, how this promise plays out in particular and, and what God had in mind um, in these expressions. In, in Hosea 11.1, 1, Hosea is he's preaching to the people of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel. And he's, saying, he's trying to, to connect with them and tell them that their behavior, their, their standing, their present situation is not what God intended for them. That God has some very amazing, wonderful plans for them, but they had, in their rebellion, in their sin, in their rejection of Him, wandered away and become less than what they should have been. And in many respects, that's a... That's kind of a reflection on all of humanity. All of us, because of sin, because of our, our failures to heed what God is calling us to and where God is leading us, we're less than we could be. We're less than we should be. And so Hosea communicates that here. He says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Israel, I called my son. But Israel called to the Egyptians, even as Israel was leaving them. They kept sacrificing to Baals and burning offerings to idols. Notice the contrast there. God says what? Israel, I loved you. I loved you. Remember, this is Old Testament. A lot of times we think of Old Testament as law, but, but just, just remembering that that God saved Israel out of Egypt apart from the law. The law hadn't been given yet. God had not given uh, those rules, those regulations, or anything like that yet. He pulled Israel out of Egypt just out of his love, out of his grace. And not only that, it says, I called you my son. I called you my child. I identified with you. This morning, I was leafing through uh, TikTok, just looking at a different bunch of different videos that were going on, and, and one of the, the strands that somehow got attached to my feed was um, 
kids asking men who were their stepfathers to adopt them. And there was just video after video of these kids, you know, the men opening up the, the presents, and there's a note there from the, the child saying, will you adopt me? Will you be my daddy? And just these, these grown men, some of them, you know, just mountains of men, just weeping that the child wanted that relationship. That whole idea of adoption, bringing in, is, is something that, that's very special. It's something that's very distinct because it, it, is, it is a parent choosing a child, purposefully saying, you're the one. And there's a special nature to that, and that's what God is communicating to Israel. I saw you and I said, you're the one. I'm going to make you my child. And you see that love and that concern and that, that connection there. And then the very next verse. Even as I called them, they were calling after the Egyptians. They were worshiping false gods. They were pursuing others. God's intention was what? That Israel be his child. That Israel represent him. That Israel reflect to the world what it means to be in relationship with but the result, because of Israel's sinfulness and because of Israel's uh, um, obstinance, was in many ways just the opposite. Now, when you read that passage there in Hosea, it doesn't it doesn't ring as a promise. It doesn't read as as any kind of reflection of one who's coming in the future or anything. It's looking at the past, right? It's saying, when you were when you were a child, I. I rescued you. I called you mine. Out of Egypt, I called my son. And yet, in Matthew 2.15, as Matthew is telling the story of, of Christ and telling the story of his flight to Egypt upon the threat from Herod and so forth, of learning of that, it says, he stayed there until Herod's death so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Matthew sees Hosea's message as a promise. He interprets this reflection upon Israel's past failures as a promise of the one who's coming. He sees the connection through the, the usage of the word son. It's not a word that God usually uses for Israel when he talks about them. He talks about them as a bride. He talks about them as many different images, but he doesn't usually use son, and yet in that passage he does. And Matthew sees in that this reflection, this, this reality played out here in Jesus' life because what? Because in Jesus coming out of Egypt, Jesus embodies that same hope that God had for Israel that in looking at him, you would see what it means to relate to the Father, to connect with the Father. But this time, whereas Israel failed, Jesus is not going to fail. He is the perfect embodiment of that hope, of that promise, of that connection. Jesus is, in many respects, the new Israel himself. 
I say that, and I point that out to say that there are many passages just like that. And some of them we looked at, some of them we, we, we didn't over the last several weeks, but there's many passages that reflect that the promise is not, as I said when we started, this history beforehand, history carried out relationship. It's not an instance where the prophets really are, are looking into the future and they're seeing things unfold in this vision or so forth and they're writing it and then later on we see that vision actually happen. That's not really the nature of most prophecies. That does happen, but most prophecies in the Old Testament are an expectation, a, a hope, an expression of what God was going to do in the midst of Israel and Jesus bringing that to its fullness, to its completion, which is in many ways bigger than history beforehand, history carried out, because in one man, you see the embodiment of all the hopes, the dreams, the desires, the calling, the work that Israel was supposed to be. That's our Savior. And in Galatians, Paul says he came to do that at just the right moment, Galatians 4.4. 4. When the time was full, when the time was complete, Jesus came. And you think about that just in terms, again, of, of God's timing. There's no other point really in history that we can look at where Jesus' coming would have been more effective, would have been more appropriate. It came at a time when Rome had solidified its power. Just 60 years before, Rome had been struggling between different generals over who was going to be in control and who was going to lead and, and how were things going to unfold. And Augustus himself had had a, a, a struggle for that just a little bit. But right after Caesar Augustus gets control, and you have what's called the Pax Romana settle in, Jesus is born. I don't think it's accidental that Luke highlights that in the year of Caesar Augustus. Because you have this, this, this opportunity for the first time ever for the word to spread through an empire. You had a common language in the Koine Greek. You had a common governmental system, weights and measures and, and merchants and operators and so forth had safe travel for the first time through this region that had been so treacherous and so dangerous. You had a common philosophical mindset that had settled in from Hellenism that Rome maintained and, and continued to express. You had a people who were, who were while they were secure in many uh, ways, were, were very uneasy and were looking for something more, something meaningful. There's not a, a better time for Christianity to have entered into the world for the word of God, for the gospel to have spread than the one we see. And I share those two facts to simply remind you today on this Christmas morning. That just as Christ is the culmination of all the hopes and dreams and expectations of the Old Testament, Christ is everything you need as well. He is sufficient for all your needs. In this time of holidays can, that can sometimes be so draining and difficult, He's your rest. 
He's your peace. He's your hope. He's your comfort. He's your light. But he's also here in your life, in your experience, at just the right moment. Just as he stepped into history at just the right moment, he stepped into your life, into your experience, at just the right moment. And I know sometimes we question the timing of God. Why didn't this happen earlier? Why didn't this happen later? Or why is this happening to me now? Or why am I experiencing these things? Why am I having to go through this? God's word is consistent. God's work is consistent as well in our lives. His timing is perfect. And while you may not see it now, in time you will. And I just want to encourage you today as we celebrate and as we recognize the coming of the King, the fulfillment of all those promises, the one who delivers, the one who provides. That while he did that for humanity as a whole, he also did that for you as an individual. He loves you. He gave himself for you. He left the glories of heaven, as we sang earlier, to be laid in a manger in the dirt for you. And he has a plan for your life, he has a purpose for your existence and he desires a relationship with you that reveals the truth of who God is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for each person here. Thank you for the perfect timing that you consistently, constantly show. I thank you for the fullness of what you have revealed to us and who you are and what you've accomplished in our lives. God, I pray as we come now to this time of reflection and response that you would speak to our hearts, to those who are hurting, you bring comfort. To those who are searching, you bring direction. For those who are longing for something more, that you would reveal what that something is. And the Lord, especially if that's a relationship with you, that you would draw that person, that individual, to an understanding, to a perspective of your goodness. That they would experience the life that you alone can bring. It's in Christ's name we pray.